0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a
1: month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome
1: to the Cosmic Moments podcast. I'm your host, Chanel Denton, and together we're going to enjoy conversations and content around mastering transitions, manifesting abundance and managing changes and shifts during times of growth. Join me as we learn from teachers, philosophers, entrepreneurs, both past and present. Welcome to Cosmic Moments. Today I'm with Burr, the founder of Calmly Events, a space for mindful fun where baby animals assist us in the practice of meditation. Burr is a qualified meditation and breathwork facilitator, as well as a successful entrepreneur, or what I like to call a yogapreneur, taking her passions of creating a compassionate world and turning it into a thriving and growing business. Thank you for not only being here to join me in these conversations, but also for what you're creating. Um, I've been fortunate enough to be at some of the events you've invited me to teach, which has just been so lovely, Mm. but to see the profound effect that you've created in these people um, and, and actually being a part of that has just yeah been so beautiful and
0: why i think our friendship has grown thank and you for um opening a space uh for me to be here and also to um yeah create an impact on the world that we're obviously both aligned on like this is yeah a journey that both of us have come upon because it's it's really important tell me a little bit about how you got on this path when you say this path are you talking about the spiritual journey or are you talking about Calmably as a business?
1: Okay, yeah, well, I want to talk about everything. So let's start <laughs> with um, your meditation path, where it started, where you woke up and said, I want to be a meditation teacher. Or did that even happen or was it just like, I want to learn how to meditate and then it kind of...
0: Oh, it was crazy. It was yeah. so crazy. There were two two big moments. Um, the first one, when I when I knew that I had to go to meditation, the second one... When I knew that I had to teach, both of them were like this incredible, um, irresistible feeling that I could not run from. And it was like, I wanted to run from it. And I still kind of do sometimes. It's like, I'm afraid that I'm not going to be able to do it or I'm not going to do it well, um, mm. uh, which is actually inevitably going to happen, but that's part of the path path and the journey right? mm. to just accept that you're not going to do it perfectly, but it's still worth doing. I had no choice. It was like, you do this or you die. Not, <laughs> <laughs> and not like die as in a physical sense, but just die inside and just like, just accept that you're not going to live your life. You're going to be vulnerable. You're not going to enjoy it. So it's like, <laughs> you're going to do it. Um, so the first, yeah, the first time it happened was um, when I was, I was in a relationship um, with a really, really lovely man um, who took really good care of me and provided for everything. But we we couldn't connect on the same level. We, we were very different. And um, and I I felt I had been so inauthentic mm. for so long. It's it all started this inauthenticity um, when I was twelve years old. Well, actually, it would have started before then, between eight and twelve, because that's when the sexual abuse first started for my stepdad. Mm. It was not, didn't really cross the line until I was 12, but after that was really hard because that was around the same time that mum left um, to go to New York. I've re-experienced this moment through meditation and breathwork, actually.
1: And no one around then knew about the abuse that was going on, or did they? No, 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 no. no, no. Okay. Yeah. And did yeah. you not feel any kind of relief that you were
0: escaping the tormentor in any way? Yes, or? there was definitely relief. Maybe that was why I didn't feel like I had to say anything back then, because mm. I knew in Like, so my stepmom came over from Australia to look after us, and during that time, I was like, You'd have six months, and then he's not going to be able to get you, Mm -hmm. so you can, it's fine, just deal with it. Yeah, and I knew, you know, mum was in such a tumultuous headspace, and and I didn't want to upset my brother and sister or my dad, especially, so I just kept it in. Yeah, and then, um, yeah, and then from there, it was like another maybe four years before I felt like I could speak about it. Um, and I told my brother and sister, and they freaked out. But we all kind of still, again, just didn't deal with it. Because mm. we're all kids, yeah. you know. Like, my sister was two years older than me. My brother's three years older than me. And
1: she wasn't <clears throat> being a victim of the abuse, your older sister. She said that
0: she always felt weird. But okay. never, yeah, he never crossed the line with her. Mm. Um, yeah. So so during that whole time, like, from 12 years old to, like, 20 something. I was suppressed. And I think it was, like you were saying, that that lack of control, right, because mum left because she wasn't happy. Mm. So I thought maybe, reflecting on it now, I think maybe I went around just every single person that I knew trying to make them happy, Mm. to make up for this failure that had left me in such a horrible place. But I didn't even realise that's what I was doing because I was just a kid. Yeah, wow. Um, Yeah, and, uh, and during that time, like, I developed a few eating disorders, I had, like, just crazy levels of social anxiety that were escalating. I was just so out of control. Like that was I knew it was getting worse and worse. Couldn't stop analysing people whenever they were with me, like the eye contact, the the body positioning, body language, tone of voice, the flow in the conversation. I'd have things I was gonna talk about already before it was crazy. It was exhausting. Wow. Mm. And I actually read about it later on. I think um, that hypersensitivity comes from situations of abuse because you're so used to seeing a certain rhythm in your caregiver. Um, you know, like they blink their eyes this certain way or their facial muscles twitch or they're rattling on the table or something and that you know those are their tells, so you become really sensitive to their tells so that you, as a protection mechanism, and then that's kind of like maladaptive when you're an adult.
1: As painful as that journey must have been and how hard it is for us to hear it, you know, and the anger and the emotions that come up, you were a child, you were abused. But it's almost amazing that you have not just suppressed it now, but you've taken that time to work on the journey to understand it and in a positive way in your life, which is pretty profound. (laughs) Have you had contact with your stepdad since then?
0: Well, actually, um, when I first told my brother and sister, they sent him a really aggressive email like I didn't know until I was like 23 but apparently he replied like all those years ago and said I'm so sorry and then I never heard from him again and you don't know where he is now and you no. don't do you have an interest to kind
1: of confront
0: him or how, how Absolutely. does that be? I would love to I would love to talk to him um and give him that forgiveness I think mm. because I think for someone to do that to somebody that you love there has to be something that happened to you And mm. you know, that's like learned behavior and have him say, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, it wasn't your fault. I so. suppose we are forever healing, it's mm. forever journey.
1: Mm. Um, you well, know. I mean, I think it's pretty profound, you know, you, you having the courage to actually share this. Um, yeah, I've never, um,
0: never gone on record before, so this is pretty intense. The fact that you're
1: able to get to a space now where you're forgiving him mm. is pretty profound in the healing as well.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, because that inner release of forgiveness is something that can just project you into so many amazing things spaces and
0: yeah well i think i'm just realizing that there's no other way it's the mm-hmm. same it's the same thing it's like you tried everything you did all the things you did the psychology you tried hypnotherapy all your external things meditation yoga exercise nutrition you have no choice like the only thing you can do if you really want to be free of your unhappiness is to love literally that's it i was going to finish that sentence and i realized that's <laughs> it. it's just to love <laughs> then how did that play out in your relationship? Oh, I was so bad. That's that's what we were getting. Yeah. Okay. So um, so I had a lot of fear around intimacy. Um, and again, this was another thing that I learned um, from just from studying psychology, actually. All right, so there's these things called schemas in childhood that you create. And it's kind of like the structure or the filter or, or like the way that you see a concept and then you understand that concept for the rest of your life. And so my understanding is that as a child, I created a schema for um, love, which would have been on the top half, like, you know, affection, joy, you know, giving, play, education, compliments. And then down the bottom, it's also, like, shame and fear and anxiety mm. and, like, dread, you know, horror, all these things. And so that kind of got all looped into one one concept of love. Yeah. Um, and so I think I took that concept into my relationships. And um,
1: and so would that be how you express love as
0: well? Um, actually, weirdly enough, how I express love is... um how or how I expressed love was to try and make that person happy Mm. as much as possible all the time Mm. which is impossible and Mm. so naturally it would injure my self-concept whenever he was unhappy Mm. because then I take it personally I'm like oh you you know failure shame you're not doing it on top of that fear that he's going to abandon you just like mum did because you couldn't make her happy either and so I feel as though there were flaws in both of us but I feel like it was very difficult I feel like I was a difficult person to be in a relationship with it was so hard for me to just be real just be authentic be in the moment
1: Um, yeah okay so you've got to a point in your life now where you've confronted your childhood abuse you're in a relationship Mm. with a loving man Mm. but you're not happy so you turn to meditation or is that what happened
0: (laughs) pretty much Um, I was so unhappy. I was, like, crying all the time. I knew up until that point that I had a lot to work on in terms of my self-development and processing emotion. It's pretty self-aware considering I was that disconnected. But um, at that moment, that was when I was like, okay, you probably have to do something pretty drastic now. You can't just let this get worse. Yeah. Um, And then, um, yeah, and then (laughs) that's when my friend Jade came back from Vipassana. Mm. Yeah. For anyone who doesn't know what that is vipassana is like a 10-day meditation um it's called a retreat but it's actually a boot camp yeah. 10 days where you just meditate for 10 hours in complete silence no technology no eating after midday um no exercise no reading nothing it's just meditation and she came back from that and she like was so different she was so spun out She, I don't think she remembers, but she came and met me at Grilled and her hair was just like a bird's nest. And like, I think she was wearing like some sort of like, like Hessian bag dress. Like it just, she just looked like such a hippie. And I never identified her as that before. She's like, you've got to go. And I was like, you know, processing the last few years of my life. And I was like, yep, I do have to go. I was like dead set on it. I was like, this is great. She's transformed her life. I need a transformation. Go. Hang on, okay, so for someone that doesn't understand
1: what repression is and you're saying that she's transformed her life, mm. all I'm hearing is she came to you with a potato sack and her <laughs> hair in a mess, how did you see this transformation that you felt, oh, I want a piece of that?
0: Right, so she said she said um, the, the verbatim, the words were, I now know things that I can't oh, unknow, like, it will give you a tool, it's just a tool, and it's a tool that you'll be able to use across everything in your life, that sounded pretty good. I thought yeah. the hardest thing would be um, probably being away from food and comforts. Mm. It's not. <laughs> so not.
1: Um, yeah, because it's total silence. You can't talk. You can't. Um, and the
0: talking t- things. Right. You can't yeah. do anything, can Ooh, you? All that stuff is easy, man. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. The hard stuff is like sitting there with your your chaos, your cr- crazy mind it just tries in every single possible way to pull you out of peace like it will do everything it's like makes you hungry when you're not hungry makes you thirsty makes you cold makes you hot makes you um a victim like pulls up pain from the past pulls up pain in your body manifests just random pain like sometimes it felt like there was like a sometimes i was sure there must be something wrong but it would just be my mind creating this, like, incredible, like, temple stabbing on, like, the left side or something. And then I'd just be with it and it would pass. Um, so, yeah, it's what the mind does to you. And you just sit there for, like, ten hours and observe it. And you just observe it. Non-reaction. Observe. It's like, oh, feels like, <laughs> like. Sounds like hell. <laughs> it was. It kind of was. Um, Yeah. And... um. But it was amazing.
1: Okay, so you did this ten days of complete silence, uh, learning, they give they, it's it's hours of meditation, mm. right, just sitting there. What kind of meditation was it? Was it transcendental? What's the lineage of that meditation? Oh, it's, or... Um,
0: it's Buddhist, it's inside
1: meditation. Can you give us a little uh, explanation to what that means?
0: Yeah, um so it's um it's called anapana, and it's um it's basically breath awareness, so it's just witnessing the natural breath. As it moves over your upper lip, below the nostrils, above the upper lip, and you—that's that's it. So there's no mantras. Um, there's no. You don't use any objects of attention or focus. Just your sensations. And the whole thing behind that is that if you can feel into your sensations, then you can make your mind sensitive. Ah, oh, this is this is going way way back, mm-hmm. and I might get a few of these details wrong. Okay, um, just to explain it. Just- well as you can i guess yeah okay so there's the sensation in the body there's the perception that we lay over the top and then there's the reaction there's one step that i've missed but um in this uh, so goenka talks about how you have craving so craving and aversion so things that you crave you know um, sensations of pleasure things that you um run from or aversion things mm. that don't feel pleasant and then we spend our whole lives um either chasing something or running away from something and so we're never actually here. And then what we do in vipassana is we we sit with the physiological sensations in the body to begin with, just the sensations below the nostrils and above the upper lip, and we make our minds really sensitive. So then when we go through the body, we can feel the pleasure, feel the pain and stay in a place of non-attachment. Okay? So then to generalize that to everyday life, so in everyday life, you have um, these kind of knee-jerk reactions to your emotions. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, um, this doesn't feel good, so I'm not going to do it. It's right. Like, maybe you've got to make that cold call. Maybe you have to um, make an awkward conversation with someone, and you have this knee-jerk reaction. I don't want to do that, so I'm just not going to do it and sabotage myself because mm. now I don't have any sales, or now I don't. Now I feel really tense and uneasy with this person because I didn't have that conversation. Mm. And so. In the what we learn to do is we witness the core of the sensation. We don't try and change the behaviour on the external level because that's very contextual. Mm. Don't try and change the thought or the um, perception of it. Instead, you go all the way back so that you're so so sensitive to your initial physiological response, which is pain, mm. and you stay unattached and unreactive.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: You observe it and let it pass, and then you can do what you want to. Well, then you can um, perceive what you want to perceive. And actually create what you want in your life. So before going to Vipassana, did you have a regular meditation practice, or had you not no. meditated at all? I'd only done like fifteen minutes, um, like maybe fifteen minute sets, based off this book called The Power of Your Subconscious Mind. Wow. Yeah. It was um, it was intense, and I definitely did it. If meditation can be done wrong, which it can't be, but like what I understand <laughs> of meditation now, relative to then, is like definitely put myself through way more suffering than was necessary
1: wow yeah okay so so you do the the vipassana and then what you come back to
0: normal life and you're like oh right no okay so so at this point i didn't even know that there was um things words like consciousness i Mm. didn't even know i'd never heard that word before um (laughs) and um anyway so it was really funny on the eighth day um, I was sitting behind this girl, and she was having a five-minute conversation. You're allowed a five-minute um, conversation with the teacher after each day, <laughs> and she was asking the teacher, um, "Oh, I was, um, I was, I was crying during my meditation, and I was like, felt like I was going to throw up, and and you know, I didn't understand what I was feeling." Right, right. She was just saying this, to the teacher, and um, and I was listening behind her with my eyes closed, and I was thinking to myself, like. It was so bad. But this is this is just to demonstrate how much I've changed since then. Yeah. I was sitting there, and I was like, "What can <laughs> I was like, that is never going to happen to me. I was like, nothing is happening. Like, it felt like my back was getting really strong, and my mind was just getting crazier. But I was like, well, you know, I'm sure this has its own practical benefit in some way. I'm like, at least my back is strong. It was really good. Then- <laughs> so I went back to my room, and I was, like, sitting in my room... And I was just like going about things, and um, and then I started to started to form this thought of like, I wonder if that will happen to me. But it didn't get there. It was like, I wonder if that will. And then like, out of the like periphery of my sense, my sensory experience, I can't really explain it because it's not like it was visual. It's just a sensation. Um, I began to feel as though my memories were crowding into my space, mm. and I um, I didn't know, I didn't know what. When I did know, I had this knowing of like, "Oh, oh, this is all the the stuff that you want to look at like this is like this is all that shit that you've been avoiding your whole life. Like, mm. and then I started to laugh because I was like really excited because I knew that I had been sabotaging all my relationships and sabotaging my entire life because I couldn't look and accept what had happened, and so I did, and I just like surrendered to it, and then I was like crying and howling as I like dropped into my childhood self. I wasn't even, it wasn't like I was remembering. I just became her. Wow. And I was like in, I was like reliving the experiences as if I was like looking into the mirror and he's like behind me with his hand on my shoulder saying things like, I'm going to make you feel good. This kind of shit. It was so intense. Um, or, or like re, I re-experienced being in the bed and like all these things. And um, yeah, and it, it, was, it was crazy because I was like so, I was like, crying but then I was like laughing a lot yeah like laughing so much um and um yeah like,
1: I mean that sounds like for people that are suppressing stuff that yeah. sounds incredibly scary and confronting like <sighs> yeah
0: to relive tortures like oh my god yeah but it was it was freeing it was so freeing okay like this is yeah um this is why they screen the Residents, uh, participants as well, because obviously, if you've got a lot of stuff that you haven't dealt with, mm. you basically are creating a space where it can appear, and you don't have a lot of support. You, I could have gone to management and been like, "Help me," but um, you know, if you've got like schizophrenia or psychosis, it can be very risky to not have that immediate someone there just guiding you through those experiences. But yeah, but no, for me, it was it was very wonderful. it's like healing, profound, and then um, yeah, and then I left. And I was in such a good mood. <laughs> <laughs> so you did the
1: whole ten days. The whole ten days. Um. And you came back and I'm you were just blister.
0: Like, then I decided like, to go into therapy because I was like, "Well, clearly you have issues." So mm. I went to really work um, hard with my psychologist and really knuckled down on on my personal growth. Because your your mind will only perceive what it thinks is possible. Mm. And so if yeah, if you feel offended or hurt or angry then it's because you're angry at yourself over something they've shown Mm -hmm. that to you or you're hurt because um there's a wound in your childhood somewhere or in your psyche that you haven't allowed yourself to heal or forgive yourself for um anyway so so moving on so I went um yeah I went really really hard and this is again the wrong way to go about it or was it the right way Mm -hmm. um I just I began to schedule everything, so I'd get up at 5.30, I'd go straight to the gym, I would eat a really healthy, balanced breakfast, I'd go to work, I would finish and then um, listen to a podcast, or inspiring podcast, I'd then eat dinner for like 45 minutes, do some meditation, read a self-help book, go to bed, I just did that every single day for like, I can't even remember how long, I cut out everything that was bad in my diet, could only consume positive content, um, and um, it was crazy. It was actually it was amazing, and it was also quite painful. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then it was it wasn't until I was listening to this talk by Warren Buffett, Um, so funny, yeah. And I got this like message from the universe. This is that feeling I was talking about again. There's this feeling of like (laughs) it sounds so stupid, but the message was really strongly: you have to give up sugar. moment. It was so crazy because I was literally just watching this talk by Warren Buffett and I was doing the exercise that he gave me thinking, I'm like, mm, you know, I do all these exercises all the time. It was like talking about like, you know, what traits do you want in a, as a um, person? What traits do you not want? Okay, what actions and habits can you change in your life to get what you want and to um, repel what you don't want? And then this just out of nowhere, this feeling comes up. I literally, I did the same thing. I was like, no. I'm <laughs> still, okay. by this point, I was still not identifying as like a, um, for lack of a better definition, I was going to use the word hippie. I still didn't identify that way. So I was like, what? And then I was like, okay. (laughs) So I just did it. I just gave up sugar. And, um, and it was fascinating. Because after that, it just set off this, like, everything was so rapid after that. Every time I started to suppress emotion, there was nothing. I couldn't suppress it anymore. Because I couldn't, like, get my head of dopamine, my sugar, or, or, um, I just had to feel however I was feeling. So where I used to go for like three weeks or so of just repressing my like negative, negative emotions, like fear, sadness, anger, instead, um, they were just able to come up Mm because, because I couldn't take something immediately to make me feel good. And so I just processed and processed and then, um, and then it became like, well, nothing's making you feel good anymore. Um, so, you should probably do good. <laughs> wow. Yeah, because that actually feels good. Like, what, what makes you happy? So then, that's when I sat down at a big goal sheet and, like, plotted everything out. And I was like, oh, oh, of course. You have to do what you, what you did. What happened to you? You have to do that for everyone. To create it now, mm. it's just
1: so beautiful and amazing. And to be so vulnerable gives people the permission to not have to think that they have to be perfect yeah. to do the practice. Oh, my God. And yeah. how healing the practice can be. Yeah. Um. You know, if, if you've come from turmoil and you've actually done all the self-work to be at a place where you're at now and you are sharing this beautiful practice that yeah. is helping people, I've seen it. It's, Yeah, thank you.
0: Thank you. That's so lovely of you to say. Yeah.
1: When we're in the process of healing, right, yeah. Um. it's easy to say, this has happened to me and I'm growing from it. But poor me, at the same time, I guess. Yes, you know, yes. putting poor me can can actually become quite debilitating. Yes, absolutely. So, how do we stop ourselves from going into that victim space? Okay,
0: I'm going to look at this from a practical in a practical setting. Um, so, in in my meditations, when I experience the um, the traumas or or the um, negative emotions, you allow yourself to feel the sensations in the body and allow those emotions and experiences to be let go of. If you notice that you're engaging your conscious mind, and it's starting to create all kinds of stories, extra narratives that are just not part of what actually happened, then, then you can't feel those experiences. They're just like a story that you've created, extra words, extra like, I should have done this, like, I wish I'd done that, why did this happen, this is all my fault, rah, rah, rah. Then you let go of those by coming back into the body. Mm. Yeah.
1: So, is it a matter of um, practically recognizing negative self-talk? Is it, is
0: that what it is? It's or? like it's like it's something that comes with with time, with practice. In the beginning, you just feel and you feel, and at a certain point, you'll also feel that it doesn't hurt anymore. Mm. It's like instead of contracting, you'll just begin to expand and open. And when you feel like it doesn't hurt anymore the ego can sometimes come in and try and create more pain like Mm. well remember this this is what you did to that person and then you're like "Ah," and you just go back into it um Mm. but what it is is noticing when that goes like this and your whole body is different you can feel it in the body and that's when the, the it's like completion of that that healing is taking place you can move forward now you know, there is no wrong way to meditate, but I did create all kinds of unnecessary suffering for myself. When I went to Vipassana, I had this whole mindset, like I had to do it. And if I didn't do it, then I was a piece of shit. Mm. Like it was like, I pushed myself and drove myself into the ground. I was always the first one in the room at like four thirty in the morning. No one like, not no one, but there were, like, not many people there because it was an optional sitting at 4.30, but I would always be there, and then I would always be, like, the last to leave. I would, like, wait until I could hear nearly everyone was out of the room, and then I would leave. <laughs> Why? Because I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be, like, the best at meditation, like, the best good person, like, <laughs> it was the funniest and, like, most, like, counterintuitive thing that I had ever done. It's just, like, I just, um yeah, I just wanted to be so good at meditation that, I, couldn't, I wouldn't have to feel like scared or out of control or um, mm-hmm. in pain anymore, um, which is the exact, which is counterintuitive to the whole practice. The whole practice is like let go and mm. surrender and stay unattached to whatever story you've created about. You you're like, are you a competitive person? I'm highly competitive. I used to avoid air hockey because I was afraid that I would get too competitive. <laughs> I was like and still am highly competitive. Yeah, even if it's just with me, it's just like crazy. So so competitiveness in and of itself is not inherently good or bad, it is just the intention you put behind it. You can use it to drive yourself into a pit of shame, or you can use it to drive good. Yeah, that's a good concept, I like that one.
1: Mm. Okay, so you did Vipassana, you did the 10 days, you came back, and then I took
0: off. LA to San Francisco, Manhattan, um, India, and California, yeah. To, to learn everything because I, I realized yeah, I realized that I, I wanted to share it with people or at least tell people where to go but there was nowhere in Brisbane. So that's why I initially went to LA because I wanted to see Unplug. So Unplug is like a meditation studio over there, which is they're doing what I do at at scale. Like they've got like two studios now and I wanted to see how they did it, how they made it so that everyone wanted to come and it was like super popular and, and um and it wasn't intimidating. There was no like, like weird feeling or fear. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's like that. Um, I met the I met the founder. Her name's Susie. Um, yeah, and um, yeah, and and so they've got like nine meditation classes a day that are like all kinds, different kinds, like mantra, crystal healings, Reiki, um, sound bath, meditation, meditation with. Oh my God, you've got to go check it out when you go to the States yeah yeah i'll rec- I'll tell you all the studios and you just go yeah we'll put them um, in the show notes as well true, so other people true. can go yeah yeah, yeah wow. Wow. okay so, yeah so then I, I went and i sat like 600 classes i think wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah across all the studios and in, in, um, um and then came back from that and i had all this data after that and i was like great now i know how to do it um but then something happened i started teaching um, breath work and I got scared because the effects that I was eliciting and people I didn't understand um, so you had experienced breath work over in LA oh yeah
1: okay and then you came and said I'm going to teach people and people started
0: having these physical reactions that you didn't understand okay mm.
1: okay so, so then I got
0: scared so then I was like you don't know what you're doing you need to go back so I went to Ojai did a teach training um, went to um, one of Stan Groff's um, workshops for spiritual emergency which is like the Western term would be psychosis. Mm. Um, and then went and did another course in India, did some Reiki and sound therapy um, courses over there as well, and then came back. And then I was like, okay, I realize now nobody has the answers. Wow. I went over there and I was like, someone will know what to do in every situation. Like they will be able to tell me, if somebody is having a psychotic break, this is what you do. Or if, um, you know, this person comes to you and they've got this problem, this is how you help them. Nobody fucking knew i would go i just asked every. i interviewed every single teacher i take notes i like someone asked me if i was a journalist once at a meditation school they were like you asked a really good question i was like and i was just like i just need to know so that i can give this to people yeah and um yeah and i just came to the conclusion i'm like nobody knows everyone literally is just doing what they think is the best thing that they can do and they're going off their own experience and it was like this huge epiphany for me because i was like oh that's what you have to do you have to trust. Mm. You've experienced this. You give that to people. They will have whatever experience they're going to have. But what you're doing them, doing for them, is not giving them your wealth of knowledge or whatever. You're giving them the experience of self-trust, so that they can feel whatever is right for them, and then roll with that in a healer. So, for those of you that don't know what breath work is, ah, so breath work is, um, it's based off of. Well, this depends. There's so many different kinds. There's like transcendental, rebirthing, um, Stan Gross workshops like holotropic. There's Wim Hof. There's so many different kinds of breath work. But ultimately, it is manipulation of breath to elicit a change in consciousness, a shift um, from one level of brain activity to another. And so there is not a whole lot of peer-reviewed research on this stuff. But from what I understand, from what I've researched, it's in dra- dramatically increasing the oxygen in your body, which reduces carbon dioxide, um, which causes the hemoglobin in your blood to hold on to oxygen molecules and not release them properly, which means that blood flow is restricted to certain areas in the body and brain. And so, brain is composed of the three layers the first part, which is like um, where all your instincts are, like your animal instincts for survival, so hunger, sex sleep and then the next part that developed was so that was the reptilian brain Mm. then the mammalian brain developed which is like the ability to feel emotions like the limbic system um, which is why dogs can be happy or sad or um, afraid and then as the brain evolved the layer of the um, neocortex arrived which is the part that can consciously think Mm. and problem solve and discriminate and like talk about stuff um and so the theory goes that the outermost part of the brain is the youngest, so it's the most sensitive to the chemical change. Mm. And so, when you've got all that oxygen coming in um, and it's unable to be released, that part of the brain gets inhibited, and then you're allowed to drop into your primal state or your emotional state without any interference.
1: Wow. Okay, so then explain why your fingers start tingling, or for some oh. people, your t- fingers start tingling, and maybe parrot. You feel paralyzed in your body, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. why I mean, is
0: that? Again, it depends what school you subscribe to, but there are a couple of reasons. Um, if you're looking at it from a purely scientific standpoint, it's because of the um oxygen distribution, so you're over oxygenated, controlled hyperventilation. Um, so basically, it's a physical reflection of a change in your uh, chemical state. Um, from a breath perspective, it is um any blockages in the body are beginning to dissolve um you're changing the way your energy is moving moving within your body and you can feel it you can feel the sensation change when your hands cramp up it's called tetany which is like um, in breath work it's it's um a need to control and a lack of surrender mm-hmm. yeah it's a it's fear manifesting itself in the body energy is trying to escape through your hands and so you cramp up and try and lock it in it's amazing yeah it's great. So for
1: those of you that don't know what Calmably is, it's mindful fun with animals. Working with where I got, I got the nicknamed the, the Goat ghost. Whisperer. Because we actually do mindful fun meditation with goats a lot of the yeah. time. Baby goats and sheep <laughs> and pigs. But how did that come about? Like, I mean, it's such a far out concept. Oh,
0: okay, okay, okay. So it was kind of stolen, but not really. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> stolen while I, magic. While I was in the States somebody told me they were going to a goat yoga class and I was like, that's stupid. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) And then when I came back, I was like, how am I going to make meditation fun and attract droves of people? And I was like, well, maybe I can do it with baby goats.
1: Yeah. yeah. And
0: then I started researching, and then I found, like, yeah, and then I found my little farm friends, and I just went. And okay, I so
1: talk me through advice uh, for uh, other yodepreneurs or entrepreneurs. What was your first, what did your first event look like?
0: I mean, now you're branded, and you've got all of this okay, beautiful okay. stuff. So actually, what I did was I tested it first. Mm. I wasn't going to just go do it at scale without mm. any um, feedback from people. Like, what if they... Came and they hated it, and I told ten of their friends that it would be running forever. Mm. So what I did was I hired the my um, little farm friends and then we ran like a, a first event just with close friends and family, and yeah. it was pretty bad. <laughs> like like I rambled incoherently in the beginning, which most people didn't notice, except my close friends. They were like, "Yeah, you were weird," and I was like, "Well, I was nervous." And then um, the we didn't have enough bins or cleaning equipment, so there was just pee everywhere. <laughs> we, we um. <laughs> We didn't um, let the animals go on the grass first, which is when they can let go of their bladders and, and stuff. Um, so they, yeah, they just went like it was like a river as soon as they went to climb. It was just like a not nice space. There were stairs. It was, hey, it was, it was great. There were so many things that I had to iron out. I asked everyone for feedback, and then I got all that, and then I just made it way better for the mm. next one. Yeah. Wow. Yes. So make sure you test your ideas before, basically before you create some amazing event that you're gonna do. Um, you want to test whether people are actually going to buy it because, like, it's, it's, you know, your intention is pure and um, your work is amazing, there's no doubt. Like, it, most of us, like, have this incredible wealth of experience and education mm. and we think if we just distill it into a package and we, like, you know, and we give it to people, they're going to use it. It's not true. Mm. Like, they will only jump in when they identify with a problem that you have highlighted, that you definitively say that you can solve. Even if that problem is something like, um, are you bored? Yeah, something so simple. Something so simple. It doesn't have to be like, you know, come and like fix your trauma or whatever, but it's like, you've got to give them a problem and then they've got to see that and be like, oh, that is a problem in my life. Okay, and this person, they, I can tell from their ad copy, they're actually going to solve it. Like, Mm. it's it's crazy. And then, um, so the thing is, before you go and create this epic, you know, 12-week course that's going to change someone's life, see if you can sell it first. Mm. And then if no one's buying, you know that your sales copy sucks and you need to keep reiterating it. And then once people actually start buying it, well, you ask people, like, you know, that you think are your your target audience, people that you really want to help, you say, like, you know, can you give me feedback on this? And then they'll say, well, you know, that's kind of boring, you're rambling here, I'm, I'd probably just scroll past that. And then you just keep changing it until... You give them something that actually would be like, yeah, I'd pay money for that. And then you go and see, even before you're ready, if you can get people to pay for it. And then you create it. It's, it's kind of like this whole principle of like, do, don't do create all the work if you're not going to be able to help people with all that work. Burr
1: has been on in magazines, on broadcast, on TV, uh, with Calmably Events. How was that the first time it came about, and how did it come about? Oh,
0: um, the first one was the Gold Coast Bulletin. They contacted me. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really exciting. It felt like – it was funny because it actually oh, – this is actually quite vulnerable, but I feel like it's important. Um, I felt like I had made it. <laughs> like, suddenly – in spite of all the work that I had done until that point, now I was recognized by the media. Therefore, I had like achieved something. and I was successful, and it was funny because now it happens, and it's almost like I'm just like, oh, it's another one. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was it was really exciting the first time I did it, and it was really fun. And of course, I still I still enjoy doing it, um, but I don't put as much stock in it in terms of. Def- using it to define my self-worth yeah now it's kind of just like fun it's not like like yes because because the papers or the world has recognized you 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 are important and you are having impact like i think that's something that i've learned quite um throughout this is like like you you can't measure your success in terms of impact based off of attention Mm. wow what a great learning Mm, yeah I agree.
1: Where to now with, with Carmabee. What right. what are the plans or the goals or
0: oh, so. aspirations? <laughs> and my focus now is more to build out the back end. Mm. So the whole principle before was B is the gateway. It's mm. like this is where people get to come in and experience the joy of meditation with baby animals. You know, you don't have to um, invest anything, it's not like it's not torture. You're just gonna feel good. Mm. Um, and then if you wanna know more, you know, this is where you go. And so now it's like okay, got to build out the programs, um, the content like this that will help people. Um, it's just to open up their yeah their minds to further um, investment in their self awareness, emotional intelligence, and uh, spiritual practice. Yeah.
1: And what is the lineage of meditation that you teach? Um,
0: I don't teach from any particular lineage. Um, I had to identify it would be Buddhist, but I, I don't.
1: So the kind of people that come to KarmaBee events are normally beginners in meditation. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So, um, for people that are trying to get into meditation, are there any books that you would recommend?
0: Um, yes. Yeah, the Untethered Soul. Okay, we'll oh, put that in the show notes. It is <laughs> such a good book for beginners. It's it's um it's really relatable. Um, I don't think there's any sp- spiritual language or religious um attributions I think it's it's all just relating yeah meditation practices to your everyday experience um the other book would probably be um Susie's Unplug again it's like f- she calls it for modern soul seekers okay yeah it's really good oh and I have a, a book coming out yes but I don't know when so at some point I would recommend that <laughs> what is it going to be called oh it's a working title um but it's going to be called how to let go of the perfect pussy why perfectionism kills your courage it works on two aspects one on the perfectionist um so for me my whole journey was i need to go and like be happy all the time i'm so sad i came i did all that stuff and then i was like no one has the answers no one is happy all the time no one knows how to make everyone else happy all the time Hmm. and so i just went harder i just went full perfectionist and that came from fear It's like fear of negative experiences, of um, painful relationships, of um, emotions that don't feel very good. And you can't live like that. You can't live in fear. That's where the perfectionism comes from. Mm. I don't want to feel rejected. I don't want to be hurt. I don't want people to not like me. Mm. Um, And so I call that perfectionist the (laughs) pussy. It is my inner pussy. She's so scared. So, so scared. The whole thing is how to let go of perfectionism, how to let go of that fear. Holding on to it is just going to sabotage your experience and create everything that you're afraid of. Mm. The second thing is that the pussy is so taboo. It's like this incredibly vulnerable, beautiful thing that men and women worship everywhere. But then by the same token, it is also this source of shame Mm. as well. It's like hidden. It has to be hidden for some reason. Um, It's also a point of shame for women because everyone's is so different Mm. and then you see porn and there's like these neat little pussies (laughs) and women think that they have to be that way or men think that's how it is Mm. and then it leads to more shame and repression in society and so the whole, and then you've got women who actually get surgery to correct that, to correct their natural state Um, and so the whole thing is how to let go of the perfect pussy (laughs)
1: let
0: go of perfectionism and just
1: Experience. What led you in this direction of creating your book that you're going
0: to publish? And how did you get onto that trajectory? I've got these amazing people working for me. So like, they said they want to help me become an influencer. Yeah. yeah, and I was really scared at first. That freaked me out because I was like, but I don't. It's so intense to just stand in front of a class of 40 people, let alone be in that much in the public eye. Um, and also, I had this strange misconception about what an influencer was i thought that meant that i was just going to you know try and look really hot and be an attention seeker and i was like i don't want to do that and then my uh, my uh, content creator was like no no no. influencer as somebody who was a trusted advisor who can give advice at scale i like that one i know and i was like oh awesome yes let's do that and so he's like great so you're gonna write a book you're going to build a program. <laughs> you're going to be on podcasts. And I'm
1: like, okay. What's been the hardest part of the entrepreneurial journey for you?
0: I think the aloneness,
1: actually. Is that because you're putting so much energy into the business that you don't have time to socialize oh, and no. X, Y, Z?
0: Or or what do you mean by the aloneness? The aloneness. Okay. So the aloneness, um, I mean, because it's your baby, it's your mm. business. Mm. You're the only one that knows what is best for everybody like for your customers, for yourself, for your staff. And it's like, you can't defer that to anybody. You just have to own your own decision and know that you're going to fuck up and make lots of mistakes. You're going to like offend um, customers. You're going to um, make the wrong decisions and make events go, you know, pear shaped. You're going to make staff members uncomfortable or um, give them something they don't like. And you just have to accept that that's all on you. Um, Mm. And that's going to happen. Like, definitely and of course you know on the flip side like everything that you do as well is because of you and so it feels amazing when you see people like you know having those healing experiences or your staff members are really happy or the events are going really well but it is the whole thing of like it's always your fault how
1: do you as a healer and a holder of space protect yourself Mm. so that you um don't take on people's negative energy because that can be
0: quite toxic and and damaging, can it not? Yes, absolutely. And this is something that I'm still learning. I've only recently started employing it. But um, the first thing is mindset, actually. So when I say mindset, I talk about intention. If you go into something thinking that you need to protect yourself, you're already preparing your mind for an enemy, which makes the enemy real, which harms you in and of itself. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's like if there's a negative entity in the room and you... You like you're like oh I need to I need to do this. You've engaged um, the part of your mind that is deeply, deeply afraid. And so any you know the law of attraction works. Anything that you fear is what will manifest. So you create fear, uh, and then whatever you fear will then come and push against you, an mm. exact opposite and equal force. Um, so the first thing is to hold a space of love, mm. unconditional love. So even if that person is really negative or toxic. You just hold love. And you hold love, not as in like, oh, is he love? Like that poor soul, they're suffering. Mm. It's not like that. It's love, like loving the suffering that they're in. Like, oh, they're suffering. Oh, it's so good. Like, you know, this is this is their the way they express happiness. And whatever they're going through right now is exactly where they need to go to get more happiness. Mm-hmm. Examples like Sometimes you speak to people who aren't self-aware and you're like, oh, they're just like ruining their relationships. They don't even know. And you feel bad because you're like looking at them and they're sad. Mm. But the reality is if they're doing that, then they're doing whatever makes them the most happy at that moment. And so your sadness is actually just a projection of your own life. And you're creating sadness within you, which has nothing to do with their situation. And so you may as well not feel sad for them and just love where they are, knowing that eventually it's going to change because all things do. So that's what you've got to go into the space with when you try and heal someone is, I'm just loving where you're at. Mm. And then on top, when you do that as well, anyone who is in that toxic, agitated state will feel your own tension and then it will raise their frequency as well. Mm. Um, So that's the first thing. The second thing is to create a Mm. bubble around yourself of like your own self-love. And Mm. this is like, you know, the respect that you have with your own boundaries this is like got nothing to do again with anybody else it's just i love i love myself i respect myself i have boundaries because that's how i honor myself love and then usually what i'll do is create another big bubble outside of that which is just to hold space just love yeah and then after every event i try and sage as well to clear the energy Um, also i'll I'll do some oils as well what's your favorite oil to to clear to use
1: something that i like to ask Everyone that comes onto the podcast is if they have a favorite quote that may be moving or helpful to the listeners. What is right. yours? Okay,
0: so the a question. It's by Tom Villieu. He says, What would you do and love even when you're failing?
1: What would you do and love even when you're failing? You've shared so much today. It's just been amazing. Thank you so much. If you'd like to find out any more information about Burr and her events, go to calmably.com.au. I'll put all the links as well as the recommendations to the books in the show notes. If this podcast helped you in any way and you would recommend it to others, please give us a review as this helps us to be found. Join us on Cosmic Moments Facebook page to ask any questions or share any requests for upcoming interviews.